Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Oh, the power that comes when we call on that name from our toolbox. He is the Lord the man of sorrows. That's his name. And so therefore we understand. Now, we understand. Another question we get from Exodus 3-7 when he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people from Exodus 3-7. And we ask the question, how? How did he see the affliction of his people? How did that work? And we go now to Isaiah 53-4 for this answer where it says, surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, Isaiah 53, 4 explains to us something, an aspect of these afflictions that's very, very important to understand. What kind of afflictions was he going through there? It explains to us that the afflictions that he experienced on the cross were because God was afflicting him. They were burdensome because God was afflicting him. That's what it says there. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And he was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So we esteemed it right because that's in fact what was happening. How do we know that? Because it says just a few verses down in the 10th verse of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. What does that mean? It means that God afflicted him. God bruised him. Just like the song goes, Jehovah lifted up his rod. Oh Christ, it fell on thee. See, to be afflicted by God, which was what happened here, is the worst type of affliction because that's the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Court. There ain't no appeal beyond that. In other words, there's no one to appeal to. If God is the one who's doing the affliction, there's no one to appeal to. That's it. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it was a fearful thing when the Lord Jesus Christ fell into the hands of the living God to be afflicted, to be bruised. It was a fearful thing. Now, why did this happen? Why was he being afflicted by God? Why was it God that was afflicting him? Well, the reason is, is given in Isaiah 53, verse 6, the sixth verse, because it explains our problem and God's solution. Our problem is described as this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. What's our problem? 
waywardness, independence from God, my way, Frank Sinatra, doing it my way. That's the problem. That's S-I-N, sin. That comes from P-R-I-D-E, pride. Pride, I know better than God. I'm not gonna have this man rule over me. I'm not gonna have God rule over me. I'm gonna run my own life. That is what is described here. That is like all we like being a sheep and going astray and turning everyone to whose way? Our way. It's my way. I'm the master of my own destiny. Nobody tells me what to do. I do what I wanna do because I turn everyone to my own way. I turn to my own way. See, that's the description of the problem in Isaiah 53, 6. But God's solution, praise God, there's no period there because right away we have the word and, which is now God's remedy, God's solution, and God's solution is the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that was the plan of God. The plan of God to save us from our sins was to lay on him the iniquity of us all. That's explained over and over and over again. That is a thread that we keep seeing appear throughout Isaiah 53. We see this thread of God's plan to redeem us, to justify us, to save us from our sins, and we see it over and over and over again, and that's it in Isaiah 53, 6. It appears there where it says, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Down in verse 11, for he shall bear their iniquities. And again, in verse 12, he bore the sin of many. And as he said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The thread keeps appearing over and over again of our waywardness, God's solution to lay on him the iniquity of us all, that he should bear the sins of many and he should be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's God's plan. So what we see there, first of all, is that he was being afflicted by God. But there's another aspect of this as well in Isaiah 53, 7, when it speaks about he was oppressed and he was afflicted. So his afflictions were oppressive. They were burdensome. They burdened him down. It's amazing that he was able to bear up under this oppressive affliction that was on him from the cross. So when when we read these words in Exodus 3, 7, where it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. When we couple that together with Isaiah 53, the power of this word surely comes through. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. He not only saw the affliction, but he knew from his own personal experience exactly what the people were going through who were being afflicted. Because of this great affliction that he experienced personally himself, on the cross, and the whole experience of the suffering of the cross, so when we say the cross, we're we're also including all the passion before it as well. And so this is very interesting because we now can see what he means when he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people from personal knowledge. And then it says also in verse eight, he says, Exodus 3, 7, he says, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Taskmasters, see? I have heard their cry 
by reason of their taskmasters. What did he feel like? What does this mean when it says he heard their cry? How did he feel? Now, we've already seen from Psalm 22, 24, how when he emerged from the sufferings, from the death, from the resurrection, the cross, with a personal, firsthand experience of how important, of how important it is to be heard by God. He knew that. He knew that of how important it was to be heard by God. And so he, res- he comes off, he's resurrected now to the right hand of the Father, and now he's got this new resolve, this new resolve from his own personal experience. He's resolved to not despise. He's resolved to not abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He's resolved to not to hide his face from the afflicted, and he's resolved to hear the call of the afflicted. All these resolutions from his own personal experience. Why did he say in Psalm 22 that he would not despise the affliction of the afflicted? Why? Because of what happened to him in Isaiah 53.3, as we saw. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Esteemed him not. Twice in that verse, twice in that verse, three of Isaiah 53, it uses the word despised, despised. What does it mean to be despised? He was detested. He was hated. He was loathed. Just how much was he despised? Well, he was so despised that when the Ruler, Pilate, gave to the people a choice. He says, I'm setting a choice between you now. You make the choice. I am going to set on one hand Jesus, and on the other hand, I am going to set a terrorist, a murderer named Barabbas. So he sets him up there. And then he says, now it's your choice. You tell me who you want me to release to you. And the record is given in, in Matthew 27, 21. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? See, there it is. He set it all up. He says, now, you make your choice, and by your choice, you will show me who you esteem. You will show me who you despise. And they not only did that before our pilot, they were doing that before God. God was watching also as his son, in whom he was well pleased. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, was on one hand, And Barabbas and all he stood for, wickedness, murder, terrorism, was on the other hand. And the record says in Matthew 27, 21, they said Barabbas. They chose Barabbas. And then in Luke 23, 18, they cried out all at once, saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. They said, we'd rather have the terrorist. We'd rather have the murderer Barabbas. And for him, release him. And then later on in Luke 23, 21, a few verses later, they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. That was a choice. That was a decision they made. But that was a revelation to everybody of how much they despised him and wanted him destroyed. So when it says in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men. In other words, they chose Barabbas. They rejected him. They said, we'd rather have Barabbas. We despise him is what they said. And it says he was acquainted with grief. And of course, he was a man of sorrows and we can understand. And it says, and we hid as it were our face from him. So they said, away with him. We don't want to see him anymore. We hid as it were our face from him. And then it says he was despised and we esteemed him not. We understand. We understand. 
And so he knew personally what it was like to be despised and rejected of men. And so therefore, he's the helper of the despised and the rejected of men. He's their helper. That's very important. Now, the Jewish people in Egypt here were despised and they were rejected by the Egyptian people. But as one who has been despised, as one who has been been rejected, he has resolved he would not despise, he would not reject the Jewish people in Egypt. And you know what's happening today? As we see today the tide of world opinion turning towards the Palestinians and against the Jewish people, just today, just today, Google has made their decision to elevate an area of Israel, which they called the territory before. Now they've elevated it, Google has. They've elevated it to a state called Palestine. Changed their maps, changed their search engines, everything. And so as this begins to happen, Google and others leading the way, of turning towards the enemies of the Jewish people and turning against the Jewish people, we're going to see again How even with all the Holocaust museums and all the cities of the world, how again the Jewish people will find themselves, as they were in Egypt, a despised people, a rejected people. And that will, we're not looking forward to this happening at all, but we're looking forward to what will happen when they will then turn to the God who was despised and rejected of men, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he'll save them. What a day. All right, so they preferred the terrorist. They preferred the murderer because the people abhorred him. Therefore, he said in Psalm 22, 24, that he would not abhor the affliction of the afflicted because he's been there and done that, because he's been the afflicted. He has been the subject of the people abhorring him and despised. Egyptians, they're afflicting the Jewish people. Egyptians, They were abhorring the Jewish people. They were abhorring the afflictions of the Jewish people as well. But the Lord would not abhor the afflictions of the Jewish people. So why did he say in Psalm 22, 24, that after his death and resurrection, as this verse is, that he would not hide his face from the afflicted? Why? Because, again, what it says in Isaiah 53, 3, of what happened to him. It says he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We wouldn't look. Away with this man, he said. They said, that was us. It says, we hid. Let's be honest. We did that. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. When he was being afflicted, when he was on the cross. We said, no, no, no. We don't want to see it anymore. No more. Please remove him. And he experienced, though, looking and seeing those hide, as it were, their faces from him. He experienced that. And so when it says that, he experienced that. When it says that, it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. That's speaking about what we did. But what he saw, he saw that. He saw those hide their faces from him. And that means he experienced it firsthand. And so he knew what it was like. He knew what it felt like to look for man for help only to see them hiding their faces from him. He knew. And it's looking to man for help 
from the cross is described for us in Psalm 69, verses 20 and 21, where David, king of Israel, tells us the words of the Lord Jesus Christ from his heart, where he says in Psalm 69, 20, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Oh, what words are those? He says reproach, being despised, loathsome, being the focus of reproach. He says reproach broke shattered, broke his heart, reproach broke his heart. And then he said he was full of heaviness. See, that's the oppression that he talked about. He was oppressed and afflicted in Isaiah 53. He said heaviness, full of heaviness. And in the midst of this reproach breaking his heart, in the midst of this heaviness on him, it says that he looks up and he looks for some to take pity. And he searches and we can see it, we can feel it as he's searching for someone to take pity. And he says, he comes up his results, he says, I found none, there was none, no one. And then he says, they gave me also gall for my meat. And he says, and when he was thirsty, he says, in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. That describes for us, those words describe for us. You know, we can stand, he said, I stand at the cross of Jesus, you know, we look up, at him there. That's from our perspective. But how about from his perspective? These are the verses that talk about his perspective, what he saw. And that was, he says, they describe what it was like for him. It puts us in the shoes, so to speak. It puts us in his place on the cross. We can feel it because he says, and even when he said he was thirsty in cruelty, they give him vinegar to drink. And it says he looked for some to take pity. How amazing is that? God, the Son, God, the creator of all things, without him was not anything made that was made him. He looks for some to take pity. He's in a position of looking for some to take pity. He looks, which means he searches, he searches, he's looking, he's searching for someone to take pity, and he says there's none to take pity on him. He looks for a comforter. He's searching. Who will give me comfort? He's looking on this side and that side, and he says, there were no comforters, nobody to comfort him. And he dies, and then he's resurrected, and that becomes the great experience, his experience on the cross. And from that experience, he comes with a new, res, new resolutions. He's resolved, he's determined, and he's saying now, when there is any person who look for someone to take pity. He says, I will be that person. I will take pity, the Lord Jesus Christ says. I will take pity because I was on a cross and I looked for some to take pity and I found none. So I am resolved that when someone looks for pity, I will take pity because he knows firsthand what it's like to look for some to take pity and not to find any. Therefore, from that experience on the cross, he is resolved that when there is a person who looks for pity, or looks for comfort. He says, when there's a person who looks to him for comfort, he says, that person will not be disappointed. I will comfort. Why? Because he knows from his own firsthand experience what it's like to be in the position of needing comfort, of looking for someone to take comfort, of looking for a comforter. 
in the time of the deepest need and not to find any. He knows. He knows what that's like. Therefore, he is resolved when anyone looks to him, when anyone looks to the Lord Jesus Christ for pity or to take comfort, he in essence is saying, you won't be disappointed. I'll be there because I was there. I'll be there for you because I was there on a cross without anyone to take pity, without anyone to comfort me. So therefore, when any person calls on the name of the Lord, oh God, please be my comfort. Oh God, take pity. Right away, he says, I will be there because of what I experienced on the cross. Very important. So, when we read in uh, Exodus 3, 7, that where we read, he heard the cry by reason of their taskmasters, we can then ask the question, what was that like for him? What was that like for him, the Son of God, God the Son? What did he feel like when he says he heard the cry of the Jewish people by reason of their taskmasters? And we see again the answer from the cross in Psalm 22, as we've been looking at. And so, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 22, how it starts off. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Very famous prayer in, in the synagogue. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. So in these verses, we see the Lord Jesus Christ crying out to God. My God, my God, why? hast thou forsaken me? And when he cried out those words, we read, we understand God was far from him, far from him. God was silent. There was no answer. There was no answer. That's what he said. Now, why was God far from him when he cried out to him? Why did God not answer him when he cried from his heart? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? It was because of what was happening to him. What was happening to him is described for us beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's a description of a process with a purpose. A process with a purpose. The verse goes like this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That is the process. The process, again, is he hath made him, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now the next part of the verse describes the purpose, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, there's the process and the purpose. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, the purpose that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's an exact description of what we find in Isaiah 53, 11. Exactly the same thing. But it's put a little bit different way, and here's how it's put in Isaiah 53, 11. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. See? Again, process, purpose. See, when he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God's great process was underway. God's great process of our justification. That's what he meant when he says in Isaiah 53, 11, my righteous servant justify many. So shall my righteous servant justify many. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. What was God's great process for our justification? It's described for us. He shall bear their iniquities. See? 
Put it all together now, Isaiah 53, 11. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So, isn't that marvelous? Now, that's God's great process for our justification. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 